So we've been in this series called Through Mountains and Valleys, where we've been looking at different Bible stories that illustrate the fact that our lives have high points of victory and triumph, as well as incredibly low points of fear, desperation, and misery. And one of the most encouraging things about the Christian faith is that the Bible speaks honestly and portrays honestly both of those realities, the high points and the low points, the mountains and the valleys. And one incredible truth that the story we're looking at today illustrates is the fact that sometimes the absolute highest mountain peak experiences we have require an enormous amount of faith, obedience, and sacrifice to achieve. The story we're looking at today takes place on a very famous mountain, a mountain that over the course of thousands of years is involved in a huge variety of Bible stories. Today's is the first one. It's from Genesis 22. It's about Abraham and his son Isaac, and the mountain is called Mount Moriah. If you have a Bible or if you have your Bible on your phone, I encourage you to take it out and look up Genesis 22 because we're going to be going through it verse by verse together. Genesis 22, verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Now, it's worth pausing there for a second because the, this story starts with the phrase, after these things. And the these things that are referred to are all of the adventures that God and Abraham have had from Genesis 12 until this point in Genesis 22. The story we're about to read is basically the last significant story in the life of Abraham. And so after these things refers to all of the ups and downs they've gone through together. Their story together starts in Genesis chapter 12, where God makes a promise to Abraham, something that we call the Abrahamic covenant. At that point, Abraham is just a nobody, a nomad in ancient Babylonia wandering around, and God calls him and tells him this. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God calls Abraham and tells him, you are going to go away from everything and everyone that you know, and you're going to go to the land that I show you, and I'm going to give you offspring. And from your offspring, I'm going to make a mighty nation. Now, this is an incredible promise for God to make, because at this point, Abraham is already an old man with an old wife, and they have, up to this point, been unable to have children. And so for God to promise him, not only are you going to have a son, but through that son, I'm going to raise up an entire nation, and they are going to be the means of blessing for the entire world. And so the text says that Abraham believes God and he obeys what he's told. He goes out and this leads to just ups and downs in terms of Abraham's faithfulness. He has moments where he shows extreme trust and extreme faith in God, but he also has moments where he and his wife Sarah take matters into their own hands, resulting in gigantic problems. And so when the text starts by saying, after these things, you have to understand those things are a mixed bag in terms of Abraham's faithfulness to God. And so it starts by telling us God is going to test Abraham and test his faith and see what he's really made of. And up until this point, it seems like it could go either way. Verse 2, he said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of those mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, to 21st century ears, the command to take your only son and sacrifice him sounds horrific and bizarre. And it is horrific. 
But you have to understand that in the ancient Near Eastern world, in ancient Near Eastern pagan religion, the command for a powerful deity to have you offer your offspring would not be considered that unusual. Not everybody did it. Not every god was ex had that as kind of an expectation in worship, but it was not unheard of at all. And so the thing that makes this shocking is not necessarily the request to sacrifice your son, but that it's coming from Yahweh, from Abraham's God. So the question Abraham would be faced with at this point is not, would a God ever ask this, but would this God ask this of me? And the deeper question is, how could this God who promised me this offspring, who promised through this offspring to bring about a mighty nation to bless us and use us to bless all the nations of earth, how could he take now the very promise that it's taken all these years and all these ups and downs to finally get? Is God really going to take that from me? And so one interesting thing in the story is we don't really get a look inside Abraham's mind, but you have to imagine as the story unfolds the depth of uncertainty and fear and questioning. And yet, all we see from him is obedience. Verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. A couple things here. First, it's a three-day journey. The last place Abraham has been recorded being is a place called Beersheba, 50 miles from Mount Moriah. And it says it takes him three days to get there. So even though that happens in one sentence for us, imagine Abraham's situation. Day after day, three days of walking beside your son. The text already said it's your son, your only son who you love, the precious fruit of the promise that God has made to him. And for three days, Abraham has to sustain this level of obedience and trust that God has commanded me to do this and, and I'm going to follow through on it. But then something happens. When they start to go up the mountain, he says to his servants, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. I and the boy will go and come again to you. Now these could be considered just empty words, but we know from some New Testament writings that they're actually not. This is an expression of, of deep faith on the part of Abraham. It doesn't mean that he's not expecting to go through with it. On the contrary, Abraham, as we'll see in a minute, has every intention of obeying God. But the author of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, says that Abraham was convinced that even if he had to sacrifice his son Isaac, that God could raise him from the dead. So this expression of faith at this moment is absolutely incredible that he says, as he's prepared to go and do the most horrific thing he could ever imagine doing, that we are both coming back to you. Verse 6, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Now you'll notice as we get closer and closer to the kind of moment of truth here, the narrative slows down. This is something you see in the Bible when significant moments are occurring 
the, the action slows down and we get more and more detail. I mean, it was just a minute ago that three days went by in one sentence, but now we have them walking together, the knife, the fire, the wood, going to do the sacrifice. You have the, the sacrifice who doesn't know that's his role yet and the one who offers the sacrifice walking together. And instead of a lamb on a rope like it normally would have been, this time it's a father and his beloved son. And that son, Isaac, carrying the wood of his own sacrifice upon his back, asks his father, where's the lamb? Abraham responds with something beautiful, another incredible expression of faith. He says in Hebrew, Elohim Yireh, God will provide or God will see to it. God is going to provide the lamb we need, son. Again, don't let yourself believe that Abraham is at this point thinking, I'm not going to have to, I'm not going to have to sacrifice, sacrifice my son. Later on in Hebrews, the author is going to say, he knew that even if he had to do it, God would raise him from the dead. But he says, God will provide. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. You see how, how the action slows down even more. Abraham takes the wood, builds the altar, lays the wood out, binds his son Isaac and places him upon it. And, and there's a detail here that's incredibly important that we don't want to miss. If you grew up in the church and you've heard Sunday school versions of this, um, this is one of those stories that gets told in Sunday school somehow. Um, you might be picturing Abraham as an old man and Isaac as a little boy, you know, like a five, six, seven, eight-year-old boy. And that is not the case. Scholars debate the exact age of Isaac here for a variety of reasons, but suffice it to say, even on the young side, those who advocate for a young version of Isaac still think that he was probably 16, 17, or 18 years old. And on the older side, there are scholars who believe he would have been in his late 20s or early 30s. And you got to understand, in addition to that, in the ancient Near Eastern world, a 16-year-old boy is not like a 21st century 16-year-old boy. No offense to our 16-year-old boys who are watching. A 16-year-old boy in the ancient Near Eastern world is a man. He has worked every day of his life for years at this point. And Abraham is incredibly old. This is the last significant story in his life after this. Sarah will die, and then Abraham will die. So you have to understand, incredibly old man and a young, strong man. And even though the Bible doesn't give us any details about this element of the story, just the fact of their age difference lets you know something so important about both Isaac and Abraham. Because if Isaac is a 16-year-old all the way up to a 30-year-old, he's not being forced by his father to lay down on the wood. He's not being tricked or manipulated. He is doing this out of obedience and trust in his father. At any point in this situation, Isaac could have either overcome his father with his own strength, or he could have at least broken free and run away, but he doesn't. Abraham is showing his faithfulness and trust in God on the top of Mount Moriah, and Isaac is showing his faith and trust to his father, his son, his beloved son, his only son, lays on the wood for the sacrifice. It says that Isaac, or Abraham rather, takes the knife. And in that moment, when the knife is at the neck of Isaac, this happens. 
But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram, caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. So at that moment when Abraham is just prepared to take the knife and sacrifice his son, there is a ram in the thicket. Just as Abraham said, God provides a sacrifice. It's an incredible moment. And it goes on, you you already saw there that God says, now I know that you trust in me. You've been tested and proven to have that faith. And God goes on to reiterate the covenant again with Abraham that he made back in Genesis 12, that all of these things he promised are going to come to pass. A nation is going to come from you. It is an incredible mountaintop moment and a mountaintop moment that, as we said earlier, required incredible faith, incredible obedience, and a willingness to sacrifice something unimaginably difficult for him to give up. And so in 2020, one way that we could end this that'd be really easy to do would be to say, hey, that's the end of the story. And you, like Abraham, have to have that kind of faith and obedience and willingness to sacrifice. But here's the thing. This is not the end of the story of Mount Moriah. And really, the story about Abraham and Isaac that we just read isn't ultimately about Abraham and Isaac. It says in verse 14, Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. One really beautiful detail there. Earlier, he told Isaac, God will provide. Elohim, Yireh. Here he says, the Lord will provide, which in Hebrew is Yahweh, Yireh, the personal name of God. This has become incredibly more intimate and personal at this point. But it says he called that na- the name of that place the Lord will provide. Now, what would you have called it if it was you? And you just told your son, God will provide, and then God provided. I would have called the name of that place, God provided, the Lord provided. But Abraham doesn't. He he calls it, the Lord will provide. And the author says that to this day, to the point when this book was written, that it's said of that place, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Abraham has taken God's faithfulness in that moment and used it to, to look forward and say, God will be faithful. God has been faithful and God will be faithful. And from this point on, Mount Moriah becomes central to the story and life of Israel. A thousand years after this story takes place, King David stands on that same mountain and purchases land from a man named Ornan the Jebusite. That comes after this incredibly interesting story that we don't have time to tell where um, David has this moment of disobedience that leads to a plague upon Israel. And at the moment that God shows mercy to Israel, David looks at the top of a mountain and sees an angel, the text says, standing between heaven and earth. And so David ends up going up to that spot and at God's command, he purchases that land. Now in the next generation, his son Solomon chooses to build the temple of God on that spot, on Mount Moriah. So the temple, a thousand years after this story, is built in the same spot on those same mountains. Now another thousand years goes by. And you have to just imagine the life that is lived on these mountains, in this same place. The kings that come and go, all of their successes 
and failures, the prophets who come and deliver messages of hope, messages of judgment, the sacrifices, thousands of years of temple sacrifices taking place in this same spot, the days of atonement that come and go, where high priests enter into the Holy of Holies, the place where heaven and earth meet and atone for the sins of the entire nation. 2,000 years of history after Abraham. And then a man named Jesus of Nazareth shows up on these same hills. See, the entire city of Jerusalem is built up around the temple. And so when Jesus is in Jerusalem, he's on that same mountain. He's in those same hills of Moriah. And he's ministering, teaching, healing. He's in the courtyards, turning over tables and giving incredible revelation about the kingdom of God. Until finally, at the culmination of his ministry, Jesus walks up these same hills. And again, it is the sacrifice and the one who offers it walking together. It is the one who at his baptism was called by God, my son in whom I am well pleased, the beloved son of God, the only begotten son of God, the one who John the Baptist called the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He walks up those same hills bearing the wood of his own sacrifice upon his back. But this time, Unlike in the case of Abraham, see, God spared Abraham's son, his beloved son, his only son whom he loved. But in order to save all of us, in order to undo the curse, in order to rescue us from Satan's sin and death, God does not spare his own son, his beloved son. See, we talk about mountaintop experiences, but what you have to know is that if you are a Christian, the highest mountaintop experience for you, the one that showed the greatest level of obedience and faithfulness and willingness to sacrifice happened 2,000 years ago on your behalf. The highest mountaintop experience for the Christian is the one that took place 2,000 years ago in the same foothills that Abraham and Isaac walked when Jesus went to the cross and died in your place. And it's why we can look to the most famous verse in the entire Bible, John 3.16, and read, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Abraham said, Elohim Yireh, God will provide a lamb. And he named that mountain, the Lord will provide. And in Jesus, the Lord will provide becomes the Lord has provided. At that moment, when you were at your greatest moment of need, when the knife of death and hell was at your neck, there was a lamb in the thicket. God provided and Jesus took your place. And so we, like Abraham, we look to the past faithfulness of God and we don't just say God has provided, we say that, but then we also say God will provide. Abraham saw God provide for him and then he said God will provide. He saw that demonstration of love and provision and care and took from it the knowledge and sureness that that same God will provide for him. So Christian, know your greatest need has been met 
your greatest, most desperate need has been provided for. And that same God will provide for you in the future. And so whether it's a mountaintop or the deepest, darkest valley that you find yourself in now, know God has provided, God will provide. He is faithful.